Well, super excited to have you here, Bruno. Uh, really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Excited to make this happen. Uh, you and I have been chatting a little bit prior, uh, but great to meet you and uh, uh, kind of have this longer form conversation. Yeah, no, thanks. Excited to be here. Perfect. Well, I would love to uh, give the listeners a little bit more background context into who you are and how you got into crypto before we deep dive into uh, what you're building. Yeah. So, so quick background, you know, grew up in, born in Brazil, uh, grew up in South Florida when I was a kid, went to MIT, studied computer science, uh, started my career doing uh, fintech AI software for Wall Street banks. We were trying to do NLP before it was feasible. So a little <laughs> ahead of its time, the, a conversational interface for, you know, technical topics. Um, then, you know, since then I've really had two, two kind of parallel tracks. So I've been an operator um, for a long time. First company was an AI. We sold that to Palantir um, and I got to be a part of that going public, which was really exciting. Ran their AI platform. And then my second company was also an AI. Uh, we were building AI testing tools for computer vision teams. And after the, the Palantir acquisition, I, you know, finally, uh, it was like the first time in many years I got to really choose what I wanted to work on. Um, and so I started, you know, getting more into crypto and just got sucked down the rabbit hole, as they say. But I also had a, a parallel track as an investor, which has been really relevant. A lot of the work we do um, started uh, doing some scout investing in college. I ran a scout fund, ran another scout fund after college. And then uh, the fintech I worked at had an exit. So I've made about 50 angel investments since then and currently also run my own uh, venture capital firm where we write, you know, 50K to 200K checks into early stage companies. And it's funny, I started that before I was in crypto. So our, our fund is primarily like enterprise SaaS and biotech, but now we also yep. do some crypto because it's all I do now. Amazing. You've been busy. I, I, I stay very busy. Yeah, I'm very restless. I, I feel like we could uh, probably do a entire separate podcast just on like your earlier companies and how you built them and scaled them. Uh, maybe like yeah. before we jump. I also into, got like, very bored. I, was say, I also got very bored during the pandemic and opened a registered investment advisory. So technically, I'm also a FINRA registered RIA. <laughs> amazing, amazing. What I guess like from like being able to like successfully sell your company or uh, and be part of like the Palantir IPO, what were like some of the biggest things that you just learned through going through that experience on early in your career? Yeah, it, it's interesting. You know, I even go back a little a little further than that to Kensho. Um, Kensho was the the first company I worked for, and I joined them when they were six people. Um, and like, literally they didn't have an office. They were working out of a conference room in general catalyst. It, they're a VC firm. And like that was the office. It, they just gave us a conference room and they're like, Hey, like this is your office. And, you know, I remember when I started there, you know, there were like these round tables and it was like three of us, like with our laptops, like opened up against each other. Like the one time I spilled a bottle of water and it got over everyone's laptops, but I got <laughs> to be a part of that journey from, from that day. You know, fast forward four years, you know, they got acquired for $600 million. Uh, and so I, I watched that journey and I saw these people that, you know, they, they didn't do everything right. You know, they, they, they crushed some parts that mattered, right? You know, in that case, for that company in that market, it was, you know, go to market. It was, you know, partnerships. It was hiring the best damn team uh, that I've ever worked with to this day. But, you know, like the, the product was a, a shit show sometimes, the internal like 
organization was a disaster. There was like no product. So they did a lot of things wrong. And yet there's still where there's like tremendous success. And, and that was probably one of the biggest, uh, you know, inspirations for like, okay, like if they could have pulled that off, that kind of success, they gave me a lot more confidence say, hey, like, maybe I can go do my own company. Maybe I can go start my own fund and, and I don't have to worry about getting it all right. Like having exactly the right experience, but you know, something I've always thought about is like, as long as, you know, you go into things, you know, with an open mind and, and self-awareness about where your skills are, surround yourself with the smartest people possible to, you know, see your blind spots and fill in gaps in your knowledge and just like put in your best effort, like great things will, will come out of that. And at Palantir, yeah, I, I came in and was a product lead at a public company and I definitely was not prepared for that, but just came in, you know, head first, like I do everything else in my life. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I, I think that's also one of the biggest things that I've learned is a lot of it. I mean, you can make mistakes, uh, but a lot of it's just showing up every day yeah. and uh, just putting your best foot forward, learning and continuing to iterate. Cause I think a lot of people yeah. uh, look for magic bullets and they're just yeah. as much as I wish that there could be one, you can't like bribe product market fit. You can't uh, kind of buy your way into a lot of things. And so it's just a lot of hard work. I don't know if but you ever heard that, the, the, the saying about lead bullets. You know, you need more yes. lead, lead bullets and a lot of them versus, <laughs> you know, hoping that that one silver bullet pays off. Exactly. And then uh, I think that was from uh, Ben Horowitz's book. And then the other line that yeah. I liked in there, I think he said, there was only two kind of emotions from uh, like during your entrepreneurial journey. I think it's euphoria and terror and lack of sleep enhances them both. <laughs> yeah so and and sometimes you have them in the same week sometimes you have them in the same day sometimes in the same hour yeah. <laughs> it was the best True. of times it was the worst of times definitely well no i mean your background is amazing uh and just all of what you have accomplished uh, thus far how i mean you said you kind of fell down the crypto rabbit hole could you share a little bit more about like what got you interested in kind of your journey uh just getting into crypto yeah, it's interesting because I, so I went to MIT and, you know, 10 years ago, my classmates were getting really into crypto. Uh, Dan Elitzer, Jeremy um, Rubin, you know, Bitcoin Core Dev, and, and they were telling every, they, they were literally running around saying everyone buy Bitcoin. And they negotiated a donor to give every single MIT undergrad a quarter of a Bitcoin. And what did people do? They all literally sold it at a discount, like OTC, as soon as they got it. So um, I, I, that, you know, that was my first exposure to Bitcoin. And I thought it was really interesting. The tech was really interesting, but they didn't think that much of it. I was a startup guy. And so for me, I'm like, oh, that's one other innovation. You know, Bitcoin, my friends also invented CRISPR. It's like, you got to pick, you know, what, where you're going to focus. And um, and I was doing like iOS stuff at the time. So I thought it was interesting. And, and fast forward 2015, you know, uh, after the Ethereum white paper came out, Jeremy Rubin again was telling everyone buy this ICO 40 cents. So I didn't listen to him, but I, I thought, oh, okay, like this is interesting. I'm a, I'm a programmer. I'm a software engineer. Like, okay, now this is cool. You can actually run code on the blockchain. It's a decentralized state, you know, decentralized computer. So I thought it was really interesting. And you know, bought, bought a bunch of ETH and started like, you know, doing like a white paper club, but the, the space got pretty like scammy pretty quickly. And the white paper stopped making sense. And the tech started seemingly like being vaporware and snake oil. And I think I was like, I don't know about this space. Like, it seems that like there's a couple like deep 
giga nerds in here, but everyone else is just like full of crap. Um, and then, but I owned like six figures of ETH um, in 2016, um, 2017. And when the market crashed, I, I sold all of it at like Eighty-five dollars um, in in 2018 in what is probably the worst financial decision I've ever made in my entire life, because <laughs> um, that was when we started my first company. And my co-founders were like, "Bruno, you, you can't be trader. You're not a trader. You're a founder. Like, sell that shit. Like, get out of. Just stop." I was, you know, I was checking the price every single day, and they're like, "Yo, are you the CEO? Or are you like a trader? Uh, pick one." So I, I was like, "You know what? Famous last words. I want to make my money through my company, not through this like crypto stuff." Uh, wrong decision. Uh, and so fast forward, and then I spent the next four years working in AI. And when uh, I finished my time at Palantir post-acquisition, I, I got back into the space. And, you know, the four years prior, 2017, I was like, you know, I don't know where my, where I would fit into the space. Like, I don't know where I would contribute to crypto. Um, I'm not a trader. I'm not like a deep core dev. I'm not a finance person. But, you know, I've always been like a B2B person. Like I love helping companies. I love working with companies. I love building software um, for, you know, kind of business use cases. And, you know, 2021 after acquisition, I went back, I was just investing in advising and I'm like, oh, there's like really interesting companies being built. And, you know, I don't really know, you know, what they're, what they're all doing. I don't fully understand it, but I understand company building. And, and I can see that a lot of the knowledge and the playbooks and the tools that exist in our commodities in, in web two in equity did not exist in, in crypto. Crypto companies were figuring things out, doing it all manually. No one knew what the heck they were doing. I was like, okay, like this, this I, I get, like, I, I think there's an opportunity here to do something for all these new crypto companies. Amazing. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I also, I mean, I think you joined a little bit prior to when I did, but I got in kind of during 2017 and definitely observed the similar things where it, I was very excited about the promise of like ICOs at that point and being able to kind of allocate capital to different projects from this like new method. But then it quickly turned into, yeah, just white papers. And I, I was... Smart enough to stick around, but uh, I should have gone into more deeper into the space uh, uh, during that bear market. But no, it, it's me amazing both. to well, yeah. And and at the time too, like it was, I, I, you know, it, there wasn't the same community that that there is today because that that's yep. what actually pulled me in. Right, what actually pulled me in was initially NFTs and the monkey. Now I bought a Solana monkey. Really? And I was like, oh, I get it now. Like, I see why people are into this stuff. Like, it's a cool group. It's like, you know, Monkey Dow, they're all like pretty smart. They're builders, they're founders, they're investors, they're traders. And um, and that actually pulled me into Solana. I just thought the monkey was cute. I was like, I like the art. It seems like a cool project. And then the Solana community, like Ethereum community, like, what is it? It's so like, it is, it is decentralized where it's like, it's very ethereal you know, it's so big and you don't know where to start, but Solana community, where do you start? Like literally it was the hacker house. I showed up to the New York hacker house and I'm like, wow, like everyone is here. Investors are here. Founders are here. Raj and Tolly are here. Like, holy shit. Like I can actually meet everyone and put a face to a name and feel like I'm actually a part of this, you know, community instead of like feeling like some sort of outsider trying to break in. 
Yeah, the hacker houses that Solana did, I mean, I still think today are probably one of the most important things that they have put together. And just as you mentioned, on the community side, making it feel real and alive, which it is, but being able to actually go in a place in person and see everybody, it, yeah. it really is an amazing feeling. Yeah, Magna would not be where it is today if it wasn't for you know the Solana hacker house that we went to in those early days. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, no, I, I highly recommend people go to the hacker houses if they've never been, uh, they're definitely worth it. And the nice thing is they spread them across the world. Um, so definitely attend one if you can, but maybe jumping forward a little bit, uh, and starting Magna, like, could you one, maybe just describe what your product is, uh, what kind of is the vision and then we can kind of take it from there. Yeah, so so our product, the easiest way to think about it, you know, we call it like token management, you know, token operations. Like if you're a crypto company, you have a token and you are, you know, giving that token to investors, to contributors, team members, employees. How do you track who owns how much, who owns what, you know, whether it's by a legal agreement or by a DAO vote or by a handshake? Like how do you track where those tokens are supposed to go, going to go? And then how do you actually distribute? those tokens, like how do you actually get them to the people you're trying to get them to, right? And, and the average case for us is a company comes to us, they're about to do their TGE, they have, you know, 20, 30 investors on three different unlock schedules, they might have 10 team members, um, you know, some uh, have different unlock schedules than others, and we make it really easy for them to just like upload that information, put those tokens into the smart contract, and then those tokens automatically unlock to their target recipients on whatever that custom unlock schedule is, whether it's monthly, quarterly, whether there's a cliff or whether it's block by block or, or second by second. So it's like tracking who owns what, actually distributing the tokens. And it doesn't have to be in the smart contract. We make it easy to do an airdrop, to do a bulk transfer and actually track how much you're supposed to transfer. Then the last piece is kind of like understandability. So how do we make it really easy for those recipients, that investor, that employee, that contractor to be able to log in and see, you know, how much am I getting? When am I going to get it next? What is it worth? What can I do with it? You know, where's the staking portal? Where's the governance vote? Um, and then similarly for the company, you know, we're seeing more and more web two operators come in as like a head of HR, as a CFO, as a general counsel. How do we make it easier for them to also like manage this stuff and, you know, onboard or offboard people, you know, raise a new token round, in, integrate new investors, incorporate a new token valuation, et cetera. So high level, how do we abstract over all the idiosyncrasies of the on-chain actions you have to take to distribute tokens, as well as like the off-chain ontology that you have to understand about how tokens are allocated? And how did this idea to build the token management platform kind of come about? Uh, was it at the hackathon? Like, I'm curious what spurred this vision. Yeah, so so that's why I was saying that my investment um, experience is relevant, right? So I've been a founder, right? And so I've managed uh, equity, right? And as a founder, I've received equity as an investor, as an employee. I've invested in companies. I've invested in funds. And so I saw the full life cycle of equity as, um, you know, the unit of ownership 
in the Web2 world. And in crypto, yeah, you know, the token is that, you know, transferable unit of value, unit of ownership, unit of utility, depending on exactly, you know, how the token is designed. But, you know, the, neither say the token is that like core value primitive that is, you know, transferable in ownership to all your stakeholders. And when I started working with crypto companies, I realized that really it was like, you know, normally companies would come to me and they'd be like, Hey, Bruno, I'm starting a company. Like, give me the playbook, right? What should I do? And, and it was pretty easy up to like, I'll like use this tool, you know, use Clerky, Carta, Stripe Atlas, Pilot. I, I actually literally made what I call the founder's checklist and I tweeted it out. And I'm like, literally, if you use these tools, then just focus on your product because like everything else is taken care of for you in terms of like yeah. back office, investor management, employee management. But with crypto, I realized that the, the tools didn't exist and, and nor even did like the knowledge exist. The people that knew how to do those things didn't exist. It's like lawyers at the frontier. And so really the inspiration was, um, you know, when I started in SaaS, I saw these companies, Clerky, Carta, Stripe, and they positioned themselves to really be foundational and like being the tool that every company used that made that company's life a lot easier, but also that that company could grow and they could use you know, that tool when they're two people, they could use that tool when they're 2000 people. And so we kind of looked at startups and we were like, Hey, what are those tools going to be in the crypto world that every crypto company should use that it should make their life easier. They should use it when they're two people or whether they're 2000 people. And it should, I think most important thing, prevent them from having to hire specialized knowledge and in web two, no one hires a general counsel or a CFO. And until you're a couple rounds in used to be a, a pretty early hire. And so like, what are those tools going to be? And then we just talked to, I think we interviewed 75 crypto companies, new protocols, old protocols, two person protocols, all the way up to like protocol labs, one inch, you know, these, these really huge uh, protocols. And, and this was one of the biggest pain points is that token management people, you know, they want safety, they want security, they want reliability when they're moving uh, value around. Oh, it's uh it's brilliant. I, I think being able to identify that and have gone through it a couple times prior and kind of the web two sense uh, and being able to identify that is uh, it's not easy. I, and I always say like in hindsight, everything seems obvious. And I think like, yes, like token kind of management platform and building that and being able to distribute to all relevant parties in that management Yes, like someone was going to build it, but being able to uh, be there at the right time, understand like yeah. the market does not have that and building that out is extremely difficult. Yeah. And, and that's also why it's a lot easier to be a second, third time founder. I think you, you choose your idea much more carefully. And so not only did I start two companies, but I've also invested in a hundred companies. And so I have a lot of data points on like what works as a business model, what's sticky, what's defensible, what's scalable, you know, what is going to have downstream opportunities to expand on. And I think that there were, the other thing is like, also like, what are we well suited for? Cause we had plenty of good ideas that I didn't think I was the best founder for great accounting tools out there, like deep accounting. I'm like, I'm not that guy. Um, great deep legal tools. I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but being at that intersection of on-chain data and, you know, those aspects of legal, of HR, of accounting, that I think we, we could become dangerously knowledgeable about. And I think I'm pretty close to being in like the top 0.1% of people knowledgeable about like token compensation taxes, 
right? And that's something that we're now building into the platform so that even experienced tax attorneys look at what we're building. And like, yeah, this is exactly how I'm thinking about it. And this gives me a way better way to track this stuff and make sure that, you know, when that head of HR is in there onboarding someone that we're doing everything by the book, that everything is on rails and that we're tracking all those small details. And so we don't have a lot on our website about this stuff, but beyond the on-chain stuff, I'd say we are becoming experts on, you know, legal, HR, um, tax, and, and accounting as it relates to that token compensation, token distribution, token management piece. Fascinating. And I mean, I think this also speaks to just how early we are in the entire crypto space that these basic functionalities uh, <laughs> have still not existed as of yet. And so, um, yeah. yeah, it's 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 fascinating. In kind of, I mean, obviously you guys have now raised, uh, done a round, uh, pretty prominent kind of investor group. Could you talk more just like how how the product is going and some things that you're looking forward to either building out or things that are working like really well in the product today? Yeah, it's, I'd say, you know, we've kind of followed, followed a pretty, a pretty classic startup journey. You know, the first six months of the company, which was a little over a year ago was really trying to understand the customer, the market. I mean, not a lot of people believe this, like, but basically I was like, a, I didn't know anyone in crypto in a year ago. Like I was totally new, total outsider. The only reason, uh, you know, you even got connected to Shima, which, which led our round initially was like, you know, Yid and I went to college together 10 years ago and believe me, he still ran me through as rigorous of a diligence process as anyone. <laughs> but, um, you know, so, so the first six months were really under developing a deep understanding and, and deep relationships in the space. And then the second half of last year really was about how do we build really robust on-chain primitives, right? How do we have the most secure code for, you know, storing, transferring, moving tokens? I mean, just yesterday we onboarded uh, mid nine figures of tokens onto our platform. And, and I think we can sleep at night because we know there's a ton of tests, a ton of audits, the code quality is good um, and, and so on and so forth. And we're actually now even you know making sure our upgrade authorities, the squads uh, backed by hardware wallets, right? Ledger. So it's really trying to be operationally secure. Uh, my background is in national security, which is a story for another time. <laughs> and, and so a lot of it was building those technical foundations, building a technical product and focusing on founders and projects that were launching tokens. So we really could help them when they launched the token or right before or any time after that they wanted to automate those distributions, manage those distributions, kind of have it in one place, have that UI. And then now we're really starting to go deeper, you know, with all the different stakeholders that are involved in that process. So I mentioned, you know, the, the, the CFO, right. Making sure we have the accounting exports, um, you know, down well, uh, the, the general counsel making sure that, you know, what we're doing on chain is compliant and reflective of the agreements that are signed off chain, even making sure the terms are correct. That, you know, what, you know, what's, was signed in the staff is actually what is encoded on chain. I think we've built a, a really robust library to handle any different kind of unlock schedule. We've yet to see an unlock schedule we can't handle. And then the, the third piece is kind of that, um, you know, HR piece, right? How, how do we make sure that, you know, this isn't just a, a point solution, but it's something that really can help you at an organizational level where sure, early on, it's the founder managing it, 
But in the later stage, it's not even the CFO, the GC and, and the head of HR, it's an HR manager and, and it's someone on the accounting team and, you know, one of the, you know, either internal or external counsel and building the workflows for those stakeholders. So that's what I'd say, like, you know, growing up from just doing those on-chain workflows to also doing those off-chain workflows and kind of the bridge in between such that we can help a company on day one. If you start a company, you'll be able to onboard on a Magna or a home for all of your data and we'll help you get to that launch. When you launch, we will help you with the on-chain stuff. And as you grow, we help you with the tax reporting, the tax withholding, um, making sure you're, you're being compliant. And, and those are a lot of the things that we're excited about because that's what gets it to be like a, an actual abstraction over the yeah. idiosyncrasies of managing tokens, not just a point solution that someone is token native, crypto native, no, only knows how to use. So when you go to founders and say, onboard to Magna, uh, your main pitch is, let us kind of handle the unsexy parts of your business and really go allow you to focus strictly on like the product and what makes you guys successful and we'll abstract the rest. Yeah, yeah, they, they shouldn't have to worry about doing this stuff manually and, and getting it wrong and their investors shouldn't be holding their breath being like, I hope I get my tokens on time. Um, I hope the founder remembers to send them and, and send them to the right address. And, you know, some people look, they're technically competent. They, you know, and we've had people that are like, Hey, we built our own contract, but Hey, you guys give, have a nice UI for our recipients that we didn't build that ourselves. Or they say, you know, Oh, we built this stuff out ourselves, but then they run into edge cases that we have on our platform. Right. We had a customer last week that was like, Hey, we're on Solana. Shoot. Now we're actually launching on Polygon. We're like, well, great. We, we actually support both. Um, soon we're going to be supporting Aptos. Some of them launched token on multiple platforms or they realize, oh shoot, one of our investors lost access to their wallet. Can we send the tokens to a new wallet? So like all these little things, they, they add up. And what I always tell my team is like, you know, this is a product of edge cases. It's a product of what are all the different parameters that, you know, if you were to build yourself, you might not even know that you're going to need six to 12 months from now. And how can we like preempt that need. And then also, you know, we are trying to be at the frontier also of building like really useful tools. So we, we built everything uh, that I've talked about, but we're also building a, the most gas efficient uh, airdrop tool on the market. That's, that's going to be hopefully formally verified. Um, you know, we're, we're building, you know, even on the legal side, we're, we're building an easy 83B filing tool in partnership with a number of law firms. Uh, we're building like an open source token warrant with a number of law firms. We are writing, I just wrote a 7,000 word blog post on tax implications of token compensation that we've had three law firms look at. And I'm actually working on with someone from the Congressional Committee on Taxation on Capitol Hill. So we're, we're trying to go deep in the crypto world, but also deep, you know, in the, the real world, because as crypto grows up, you know, it can't avoid the real world. It can't avoid the regulation and tax and compliance. And that's our bet that we're making is that Companies are going to be bigger. They're going to get more sophisticated. There's going to be more regulation, even if it's not in the U.S., even internationally. And we want to be the tool that, you know, when, you know, even if you onboard someone in a different country, you're like, oh, good thing we have Magnet to help us manage that. Yeah, that all makes a ton of sense. I think on your last point, like on the regulation and uh, kind of legal guidelines right now, at least in the U.S., it's definitely questionable uh and so yeah. as it continues to the industry continues to progress gets more mature these teams do become larger we scale from low millions to hundreds of millions of billions like 
as you said, all these things are going to be necessary. Uh, yeah. And by positioning yourself ahead of all this, I, I think uh, puts you guys in a wonderful spot. And that's why we structured our cap table the way we did as well, right? We don't just have crypto natives. We have people like, you know, Tiger Global, respected in the finance world, but also like Tusk, Bradley Tusk helped Uber and Coinbase with a lot of their, you know, regulatory push. Um, and as we think about how do how does Magna become a part of the conversation um, in cap, on Capitol Hill, you know, having those relationships in, you know, people that are like deep web to deep government is going to be extremely helpful. But don't get me wrong, like we're also going like really deep on crypto primitives, right? Like we're building an SDK and we're seeing really creative uses of how do we distribute tokens to people. And it's not just employees or team members or investors. We're seeing some of our companies use our SDK to distribute to their community. We're seeing games use the Magna SDK to give tokens to their players. Uh, we're seeing, you know, just really creative ways that people are leveraging our tools around, you know, allocating tokens, distributing tokens, unlocking tokens, and then eventually also staking, you know, compounding, voting. So there's a lot of cool technical stuff because I think that we don't know what the killer crypto use cases are that are out there. We just have to give people the tools and make it really easy to incorporate crypto. And if we do our jobs well, not just Magna, but as an industry, building infrastructure, building APIs, building middleware, you know, the founders of tomorrow should be using, you know, crypto infrastructure off the shelf, not just because they like crypto or, or have like a philosophical, you know, bent or crypto, but because it's generally, you know, the better, cheaper, more scalable uh, solutions to do what they want to do. Or in the case of, you know, ownership, for example, investors, it's the easier, uh, you know, thing to use in a cross-border, from a cross-border perspective. I fully agree with all that. I mean, I think going back to it just being early, uh, there's a lot of things that, I mean, developers have to think about that they don't have to think about, as you mentioned, on the Web2 side and building those primitives so they can even focus specifically on applications uh, and the end user experience rather than all these kind of hurdles that in the Web2 world have been unblocked. Uh, it's definitely yeah. going to make the onboarding for these next generation of devs much easier on that kind of point yeah. though you you guys have deployed well, to and i was multiple... gonna add to that as well like just real quick to double click on that point uh you know something i think about a lot is like how, how do we give them that like heroku moment right I, I remember when heroku first came out and like git push heroku master was like this like you know godlike command like it just worked and it was deployed and they had you know blue green deploys and it stayed up and you're like oh my god like i don't have to like you know ssh into like my ec2 box and like you know spin up all these different clusters so it's you know something we think about is like abstracting over the oddities and the oddities include solana hey maybe the chain was down maybe gas was high maybe you have to retry the transaction cancel the transaction you know users don't always know what a, a nonce is like all these things, like, you know, we, we have to get to the point where, you know, you should really not have to know much of anything, not because it should be hidden from you, but because it should be presented to you in an understandable way of like, hey, this hasn't gone through. Do you want to cancel it? Do you want to try it again? Should we, hey, this failed. So I think once we get to that point, that's when we're going to see, I think, an, an explosion of adoption of crypto infrastructure. Fully, fully agree there. Um Looking forward to that day. I mean, it's been, I mean, even since 2017, there's a lot of groundwork that has been laid. And I think 
kind of comparing 2017 to today after that like amazing bull run and then kind of crash there wasn't even really usable products which kind of sucked uh, i think dial launched in december of 2017 so at the pico top but there wasn't actually very many products that you could use and the fact that i mean it's fortunate we kind of have these cycles but at least in this cycle and kind of this more downturn there's actual products that we could use um, there's still not a lot of users, uh, at least today, but there's products. And to me, that's amazing. Uh, and I think it goes to exactly what you're saying that these type of, uh, experiences and abstractions that developers were used to in web two just didn't exist, or even the core infrastructure of the underlying blockchain, like it was very, uh, can handicap like the development process. And so as much as we can, abstracting all these complexities and allowing engineers to build just amazing applications is the vision that I want and uh, excited that it's coming to fruition. Um, you guys are building on multiple different chains. I, did you originally kind of start out in the Solana ecosystem and then expand to others uh, and just being able to manage multiple different chains uh on the token side yeah we, we started with solana because again like that community was just such a great entry point for us and we were able to pretty quickly like get to know potential customers investors but also like you know advisors like technical friends that you know could help us you know build some of that stuff out, answer some of our technical questions early on and so we started with solana that's where we got our early customers it's uh, i think to this day where, where some of our you know larger customers have been uh, and i think we're, we've built a lot of pretty robust um you know infrastructure to to help these companies manage their token distribution but we've also expanded to ethereum so we, we launched on ethereum in september um, and we've been onboarding some pretty exciting customers there. And we have a particularly amazing, you know, smart contract team on, on the EVM side. We expanded a Polygon and that's actually where we started with our SDK initially. Our SDK is now also on Ethereum, also on Solana, but, you know, we start been working particularly closely with uh, Polygon gaming companies. And that's a vertical we're really excited about working with gaming companies to, to help abstract over their token distribution, token allocation, token management, and not just from that, you know, kind of operations perspective, but also from like a, you know, in-game perspective. And so one of the tools we built is how do we make it easy to allocate tokens someone based on, you know, in-game actions, in-game achievements, or really honestly, anything else, like any off-chain, you know, um, APIs or any off-chain uh, threshold, you know, kind of quests that people solve, like, you know, you, you should be able to then boom, like turn that into an on-chain uh, piece of ownership that fasts, uh, vesting airdrops is another thing people have used us for, which is really exciting. Like not just giving tokens up front, but airdropping tokens that you then vest over, you know, six, nine, 12 months. And so, yeah, so we've been big on EVM, big on Solana. And, you know, I think later this year, there's a, a few blockchains we're pretty excited about. Uh, we're excited about Cosmos. Um, we've gotten a lot of interest there. We're, you know, starting to bring on some devs that have Cosmos experience. Um, Aptos is another one that's pretty exciting to us. And, you know, we, we've met with like the sweet team, uh, some sweet teams on a couple of occasions. And yeah, you know, we, we try to think about, you know, we, we're not like chain maxis, not chain specific. I'm generally bullish on blockchains generally. And, and we've seen some teams, they go from Polygon to Solana's, from Solana to Polygon, you know, sometimes both. Um, sometimes they leave and go somewhere else. And our interest is how do we help really scale the whole ecosystem 
um, because over time, it, it shouldn't matter which chain uh, you pick and, you know, Magna can help you deploy across all of them, manage across all of them. Very interesting. Yeah, no, I, I think <laughs> I'm fully aligned with just being able to grow the pie in some sense. Uh, the fact that we are so early, I'm happy that all these different chains are trying different scaling approaches to bring in more users. And as of the moment, allowing developers to pick, I think, which one that they think they'll do the best and allowing users to kind of choose their different sets of trade-offs uh, is important. And so, no, it's interesting to hear yeah. Uh, how you're approaching it. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun because um, I think we, we do try to go deep into each ecosystem. It's why we don't expand that quickly, right? I mean, even within EVM, like these communities are very different. And sometimes, yeah. you know, I, I see a project and they launch on every EVM chain and I'm like, they're not all interchangeable. Sure, they might be interchangeable from a tech perspective, but they're different communities, different, you know, projects that are big, different personalities that are in them, different, you know, ways that the foundation interacts with the projects. And so I think we've been pretty careful. You know, we started with Solana, built relationships there, built a sustainable presence there, moved to Ethereum, you know, and then expanded to Polygon. And yeah, we're, we're choosing what we expand and in what order we expand to in such a way that we can provide the best experience, not just technically, not even just from a product. Every company that comes to us, we try to help them out. We try to connect them with other tools, other service providers, um, introduce them to lawyers, accountants, market makers, exchanges, uh, listing teams, investors. I, I make a lot of investor intros for companies that I talk to. And, you know, honestly, yeah, I couldn't tell you any of those categories of people in the Aptos ecosystem because we're not fully there yet. But I can tell you if you're on Polygon, if you're on Ethereum, if you're on Solana, you know, even if you're not ready to onboard onto Magna, which, you know, we, we can onboard any company from day one if a token's in the future, um, we'll find other ways to help you because, again, we want to grow the pie. We want 100x the number of crypto companies that exist. And one of the ways we do that is through our product, which makes it easier to start and grow and operate a crypto company. We also do that through just personal support and through some of these like one-off tools that we're building. Yeah, in kind of talking about the different communities and different ecosystems, what have your kind of biggest findings been there just on like comparing and contrasting or how even as you were mentioning the different different ecosystem funds and like how they operate with founders? Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting because like for me on the team, like I'm probably our person that's most into the Solana world, right? And, and I put a lot of energy into that, like in the Monkey DAO, in the Solana ecosystem chat. Um, I was going to go to Mountain DAO this year, couldn't make it. But, you know, we go to the hack houses, we, we do some tutorials and, you know, there, you know, personally, I've been working really closely with, uh, you know, some of the Solana folks and the Solana Ventures, Solana Foundation. And, you know, there are a lot of the support is very dev oriented, right? Uh, helping dev, dev resources, um, you know, funding uh, some teams, but generally just providing a lot of support to, to people that are building. Um, I said Nitesh on our team has been working really deeply with the Polygon uh, ecosystem and the Polygon Foundation and the Polygon founders. Um, and so, you know, the, it's, that's the thing, right? Like, again, like, I, I don't think even internally as a team, we, we treat these ecosystems as fungible, 
Um, so uh, I'm like, I barely have enough energy to keep up with what's going on in the Solana world and, and, and who's who and, and, you know, what fight Mert is picking with the other people in the space. <laughs> but uh, it's so, you know, we kind of divide and conquer, I'd say, internally from that perspective. Makes sense. Uh, but what yeah. we are seeing, yeah. what, I, what I would say is from a VC perspective, like foundations and foundation investment arms aside, we're also seeing a lot more investors go multi-chain. Uh, I'm talking to Solana investors um, that I've known as only Solana investors that are now like, hey, like, let's talk to some Polygon teams, some Ethereum teams. But the other way around, there, there's a lot, you know, Solana for a while was kind of a closed community and and it was kind of impenetrable, opaque from the outside. But now there's other investors that are like, hey, like, how can I learn more about Solana and get involved in more Solana teams? And so I think, you know, it's really great that we're seeing more people make a conscious push to look beyond, you know, whatever their entry point might have been in terms of community and really start to explore and get to know these different chains and, and these different communities within crypto. I would definitely echo that. I think, I mean, even starting in like 2020 it was almost sinful to uh consider to build on anything other than ethereum and the fact that now developers and engineer developers engineers users uh investors are all more open-minded to these different solutions different trade-offs different architectures i think it's yeah. awesome for the space just be able to try these different things and see ultimately what kind of people land on and what applications can be built in these different areas. And then oftentimes I, I really don't even think it's at the end of the day, even sacrificing on decentralization. A lot of these things I would say were just so early in how we communicated about them, how we talked about them, that we didn't even have the language to, to speak properly. And now as we continue to learn and become more open-minded, these uh, nuances and the definitions are more commonly understood. I think people are excited to venture into different areas that they thought they wouldn't have in the past. And so I would yeah. definitely echo uh, the sentiment that the pie just needs to be grown. And the more people are open-minded to that, uh, the better for the ecosystem as a whole. Yeah, I completely agree. It's like we got to stop you know building for the same 20 30 50 000 wallets we, we got to build for the next billion wallets you know the next billion users 100 or actually or from our perspective the founders that are going to go build the tools for that like what well, you know we, yeah. we don't think we're directly going to onboard the next billion users but we want to make it easier for the people that have that idea to to build that up and, and get it up and running true true um on that front i mean there's been, I mean, now that you personally have kind of been involved in a couple cycles prior to 2017 and kind of some of that stuff throughout the 2018, 2019 bear market and this past like bull market cycle, what are some of the biggest like things that you've learned uh, just from being involved for that period of time? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think whatever the biggest overarching thing that I've learned is just to have a long-term perspective. Um, you know, I think short-term thinking, you know, sometimes dominates in a bull market where, where people think that there's a, a quick flip, right? A quick buck, uh, a quick pump, you know, and, and they only think three to six months out. Whereas when you look at a lot of the people that really have succeeded in this market, most of them 
started building in the bear market, right? Some of the big primitives of today were companies that were started in 2018 and in 2017. And they couldn't be short-term thinking because there was no opportunity on a 12-month time scale, right? You literally had to be building with the mindset of like the thing we are building is going to be valuable in three, four years. And, and it, the thing we're doing is hard enough to take that long, but it's going to be worthwhile doing. And so I think long-term thinking is always important, not just in building, but also in investing, right? Uh, in terms of, you know, what companies you look at, how quickly you deploy a fund, um, knowing that, you know, the market could turn at any minute um, and, you know, acting accordingly, but even in how you build. Uh, I think, you know, in, in the bowls, there's a lot of copy and paste and a lot of a lack of deep thought and or honestly originality. And a lot of people are literally copying and pasting tokenomics, copying and pasting projects, other chains. And I think it's very lazy. And in, in, in a bear market, you know, you don't get rewarded for that. And so I think thinking and, and building in a way that's long-term and, and sustainable, you know, if you have that compounding advantage, it's kind of like, you know, if it comes too quickly, you can almost like, you know, slip away, right? Get taken away too quickly. But, you know, that which you build over time and, you know, with deep intent, um, you know, it doesn't go away um, quickly. And so I think that just what we're seeing now is, is good for the space, which is in this market, teams are more focused, they're more intentional, they're going back to first principles, and they're really, you know, deeply thinking about what makes sense. Um, you know, does a token make sense? When does a token make sense? How do we actually want to do our tokenomics and think about it from the ground up instead of just taking what another project has done? And that's what excites me because I think that's what's going to lead to some of the most long-term, interesting, creative, and, and original projects. Definitely. I, yeah, I, I do agree. I, I, for some reason, I mean, I think there are just so many distractions during the bull market and so much kind of money falling from the si sky in some sense that people definitely take the more short-sighted approach than trying to think about the long-term and build yeah. for the long-term. And I am refreshed that the bear markets ultimately force you to refocus and think about the long-term and actually the decisions that you make and what that will do um, towards your business. Uh, and yeah. and, and, and some of those yeah. pressures are external, right? Like I'm, I'm not here trying to say that you know, people are being, you know, disingenuous or scammy. Like some of it is investors that are like, when's the token? When are you launching? Your competitor <laughs> yeah. just launched. What are you, what's your response? Like people want to see quick results. And, and I think in a bear market, you know, again, it's not just the founders, the investors are like, Hey, take your time. More important to figure out, you know, the unit economics, like, let's say, <laughs> let's, let's think long-term here, like investors are more forgiving. Your customers are, you know, you can push back in a bull market. It's unthinkable to push back a launch for most people because they're like, if we don't launch next week, the you know, market's going to move beyond us. And now it's like, we, you know, we tell our customers, hey, we we need another month to do this right. They're like, cool, because our own token launches, you know, it's okay if it gets delayed. Like everyone is a little more, a little more patient, a little more relaxed, a little more thoughtful. And I think for us in particular, like security is where that comes in handy. So, you know, my background is in national security. And so I think a lot about, you know, security at all layers. You know, when we talk about security at Magna, it's not just cybersecurity, smart contract security, um, vendor security, operational security, you know, our windows locked in the office. Do we buy ledgers directly from the vendor? 
uh, fishing, literally everything, like everything. And, and I think you, when you are you know, moving more methodically, more slowly, you're being more thoughtful. And even if you look at a lot of the biggest acts of all time, um, many of them were a, a sloppy commit pushed in between audits uh, by a dev that was tired um, or, you know, someone that opened up a zip file from a stranger until my team never opened a zip file. Um, and so I think that boom, that bear market patience manifests itself in a lot of other ways that, that are also positive for the space beyond just maybe product strategy. 100%. Um, and just, I would say from your point of view and being able to wear so many different hats or have it worn so many hats on the investor side, um, building a web two company that was successful, got acquired. Um, and then now kind of the venture here, uh, I'm sure that plays, uh, or all those learnings are in play here. What would your advice be to like founders, uh, from having the experience that you have, uh, to kind of navigate some of these even more choppy waters? It's funny. I, I regularly tweet advice, at least specific to fundraising. So you follow my Twitter if you want more fundraising tips. Um, but, but I think it, it truly like, I don't want to sound cliche, but it's truly like one, you know, go back to first principles. Right. And, and I don't mean first principles, just philosophical, like even business fundamentals, right. Product fundamentals. Why are you building what you're building? Um, you know, who are you building it for? Why do they need it? Why, why, you, why your tool, you know, is it 10x better than the status quo? Does it have to be 10x better? So like ask those fundamental questions. And sometimes I tell a lot of teams, I'm like, what, you know, the teams will come to me like, Hey, we're, we're, investors aren't biting. And I'll say, well, why are you convicted about this? Like, what is your conviction? Why is this the thing you want to spend the next few years of life doing? And, and if your answer isn't compelling, even for yourself, like, why is it going to be for compelling for other investors, why is it going to be compelling for the market? I would say that, you know, the the era of free money is, is over, right? You can no longer just say you are doing literally anything and then people will throw money at you. I think you have to be thoughtful. You have to be intentional about why you're doing it, what you're doing, how you're doing it. Um, and then something else I, I also tell teams is surround yourself with, with people that are knowledgeable and can cover your blind spots and can help you figure out your unknown unknowns. And so, you know, for us early on, it was surrounding yourself with technical experts and people that had built crypto companies because we had never done those things. Um, and specifically with founders, I say, Hey, find an angel, uh, an investor, an advisor, even just a really a mentor, a close friend that, you know, has done the things you're trying to do or has seen and helped people do the things you're trying to do because doing anything on your own, is a recipe for, you know, again, like running into blind spots that someone else that, you know, you're working closely with, or even just checking in with could have helped you see ahead of time. Yeah. I'll, uh... And it's very generic advice, but like to get more concrete with fundraising, I, I get a lot of founders that come to me at the end of the fundraise and I'm like, Oh shit. Like, I wish I would have been there three months ago. I wish you would have had anyone three months ago that was yeah. really involved angel or VC uh, because sometimes I look at them and I'm like, Hey, where you're at now, you got to take these crappy terms because you can't go back in time and run a better process. And I think the same applies to, you know, building a team, to building a company, to building a product. Time is your most valuable asset. You can never get it back. And so how do you just make the most, you know, make every week, make every month, make every quarter count. 
Yeah, I I love it. How what, maybe getting into some of those specifics on like either the fundraising side or like team management side. What are the biggest lessons that you learned there? Yeah, I'd say for product, it's again asking the right questions and it's listening to the market. And I think one of the biggest archetypes that I see with founders is like the the classic like solution looking for a problem. Um, what I tell a lot of founders is like, you know, find a space you're excited about, a problem statement. But then don't just start building, like go actually like validate, you know, how are they going to use this? How much are they going to use this? How important is it to them? How much are they going to pay for it? And then decide like, is it worth building or not? Um, something I always like to do when I'm doing due diligence on a problem, I'll ask the person I'm talking to, because if you ask a problem in isolation, right, let's say, you know, I, I really start asking you, you know, hey, Logan, you know, what do you like, you know, how can your vest be better? Right. And, and you might say, you know, the zipper is a little annoying, you know, hey, you know, like the neck's a little rough, like, you know, like, and, and so I might come away with that being like, ah, oh, okay. Like, and, and I'm like, Hey, if I built a vest, easy zipper, you know, uh, collar was just right. It's a little bit warmer. You'd be like, yeah, it's amazing. I'll buy that. But then the question I always ask is like, okay, where does this stack rank? with all the other shit you think about during the day. How important is this relative to everything else you have to do? And then you're like, yeah, but literally I don't think about it at all, actually. If you focus just on that problem, I'm sure you will have strong opinions about it. But if you zoom out and you're like, how often are you even thinking about this thing? You're probably going to be like, yeah, not, not that often. And, and so for us, right, like we actually pivoted from something we were doing before, not in Web3, it was like B2B SaaS marketplace to help people save money on SaaS tools. And it's like one of those classic traps where if you ask people in isolation, do you want to save money on SaaS tools? Of course. Hey, do you wish you could use a better tool? Oh, yes. But then, you know, I use Ramp and they tell me every day I could be switching, saving a hundred bucks a year by switching to a monthly, you know, DocuSign, uh, annual DocuSign subscriptions of monthly. And I'm like, yeah, it's just not worth my time. I honestly don't care. Um, yeah. So that's what I tell founders when it comes to product diligence. It's like, you know, ask those tough questions and think about the problem in the grand scheme of things and whether it's not just a good product, but a good business. Um, and the other, I think the other thing I would say while we're on that topic of like things first time founders get wrong, I think management is, is really hard. And I think most people are, are bad managers. Um just because those people don't have experience managing. They've never been coached on how to manage. And so I think more founders need to have an, an investor that they work with closely that has an operational experience or like a mentor, a coach, someone that they can come to. You know, I had a founder come to me last week and they were like, you know, Bruno, I, I, I'm going to make up a role. I, I, I freaking hate my head of product. Um, and when we got down to it, it turns out it was actually a communication issue where they weren't fully communicating their expectations. And we ended up that conversation with a clear plan of like, Hey, here's how I, Bruno think you could be a little more explicit about your expectations from that person. And also here's how I think you could be a little more open-ended in reaching. So we'd be like, that, that stuff, like no one knows. If you have not managed dozens of people, if you haven't managed managers, like you're not going to know that stuff. And so again, that's a thing where, you know, a founder might just go through life being like, you know, maybe just teams are dramatic and annoying and difficult when it's like, actually, maybe you just need to go find someone to, you know, that you can vent to that can help you understand like what you might be doing wrong. And that's what I mean about blind spots. 
is they're like unknown. The thing about a blind spot is you don't know you have it until there's, you know, that car in your blind spot that you hit. Right. And it's kind of like that. It's yeah. that unknown unknown that unless someone is there to be like, Hey, are you checking your blind spot? You're like, what blind spot? Oh, shoot. Right. And that applies to all walks of life, managing, fundraising, product building, anything that you haven't done before or haven't done with that same context. 100%. No, uh, lots of good, uh, bits in there. And I, I think people need to, uh, rewatch that and internalize a lot of it on going forward. Um, maybe just like the last like five minutes or so. And I'll say again, the biggest blind spot fundraising. If you're fundraising for the first time, you're probably going to fuck it up. Or if you don't fuck it up, you're not going to optimize it. You're not going to get as much as you should. So yeah, like that's why I always tell founders, hey, my DMs are open. Sometimes I'm busy, but I always get around to it. If you ever need fundraising help, if you find yourself, sometimes I get founders, I'm going to make up a, a fund. You know, I'll get them with a top tier fund, like Bruno, you know, again, made up fund. I have a term sheet from Andreessen. I, I literally don't know what to do with that. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, call me. I'll talk you through it the next time, you know, get, get someone in your corner. That's, that's going to have already been there before that happened. <laughs> Definitely. No, it's. Uh, I hope your DMs don't blow up too much after this. <laughs> but uh, they already blown up. But I, I inbox zero every week at the end of the week, so I get to impressive. everyone eventually. Impressive. Eventually, I, I might not reply immediately, but I will get to you. Um, on on that like kind of closing thoughts, what are you either like personally excited about or looking forward to in like the blockchain space, either from like your own product with Magna to uh, just adoption and kind of Web3 more broadly? Yeah, I think there's like three things that I'm excited about. I think one is um, composability, right? And, and what I mean by that is like, you know, we're building our SDK, um, you know, we're starting to bump into, okay, like people want to do vesting, they want to do streaming, but then they also want to stake lock tokens, vote with lock tokens. Uh, they want to be able to, you know, use some of these DeFi, you know, maybe borrow lend primitives. So, um, you know, people now, sometimes they want to trade their positions. NFT, so there's a lot of cool stuff. We can't build it all. No one can build it all. So how do we start making sure that things we're building are composable with other systems, interface with other systems, um, and, you know, go and, and talk to other people in the space and think, hey, how can maybe both of us change what we're building to, to make them work more well together? So I'm excited about composability because I think that's really unique to crypto and, and we should be taking more advantage of it. I'm excited about security, honestly. Like we're, we're looking at formal verification. Um, you know, I'm excited that, uh, security as it relates to, you know, not in isolation, but also in compliance and regulation. Um, you know, we support multi-sig. We're integrating institutional qualified custodians. And so I think in making security easier for people, how can people interact with multi-sigs more easily? How can they more easily, you know, even onboard onto an institutional custodian? And how can they seamlessly, you know, use all three, right? So whether they're using, whether they have tokens in our smart contracts in their multi-sig, or in an Anchorage, Bitco, Firewalks, et cetera, like it should be a seamless experience. So I'm excited about making it easier for people to make better security choices, right? better infrastructure choices, better product choices that, that make you know their workflows and their tokens more secure. And I say the third thing, I'm, I'm really excited. I spend most of my time these days, probably like when I'm not hiring or helping founders fundraise, a lot of my time is talking to lawyers. I am excited about taking all this knowledge that is trapped in the minds of the lawyers and tax specialists and accountants at the frontier 
that, you know, only the best, you know, people with the biggest budgets are getting and putting those into our product. Uh, if we can, every time I talk to a lawyer, I, I try to probe the, you know, depths of the edge cases. Hey, when do you have to, uh, you know, um, you know, use an exemption to issue and distribute tokens. What if that exemption runs out? What do you do? What if you're multinational? What if you're multi-entity? What if you have people that are the B2, 1099? What if they're in different countries? So I think uh, I get really excited about, you know, trying to become an expert and absorb all this complexity that honestly comes from having all these conversations with, with different people and, and seeing where their answers don't match and saying, okay, let, let's double click on that so that we can, where we can, make that a part of the product and generally even where we can like make that an open source blog post. I wrote this 7,000 word blog post about token taxes that I mentioned, you know, we've had like four law firms look at it. And then another, it's funny, a lawyer and a founder, you know, both asked me, they were like, Hey, are you going to charge for this? Like, are you going to pay wallet? I'm like, no, I'm always like publish it and make it free because, uh, and, and then they're like, well, well, there goes your advantage. I'm like, yeah, I've done hundreds of hours of research. The moment I hit publish, I'm back to square one, you know, I'm, everyone else is on the same page as I am. But I think that if we want to grow as a space, we have to make this specialized knowledge a commodity um, so that we can move on to more interesting problems. So the lawyers can move on to more interesting things and the founders can move past, you know, what, what's a frontier issue today, like should just be a boring cut and dry issue. And we're going to run into more gray areas, more frontier issues. And one at a time, we'll productize those, we'll commoditize that knowledge, we'll standardize those decisions so that we can become a little more predictable and standardized as a space. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, uh, no, I, I, I really appreciate it. I, I think a lot of people will learn from your wisdom, uh, kind of you have gone through multiple kind of iterations of just a company life cycle, I think is extremely invaluable in the crypto sense because crypto is so new and the learnings that you have taken from those previous companies and now applying them in the web three front, um, as you said, it really taking some of that like specialized knowledge and making it open to grow yeah. the crypto pie, I think is very admirable and uh, very excited for what you're building on the Magna front. And uh, again, yeah, thank you. It was a really fun chat. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.